Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another excellent episode of Professional Idiocy. I am James, uh, co-host of this podcast, and uh, just generally glad to be here today. It's been a very good day for us. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Barat. Alive and with a better microphone this time. True. We did upgrade a lot since the last video uh, you guys saw of us. Uh, as always, joining us when it comes to Paizo-related topics, it's Tylen. How are you doing? That's me. <laughs> I, just, awesome. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that is the greatest. Audience, let us know how you're doing in the chat uh, when this video gets published. We want to know. We, we, we the really chat. Care. The chat uh-huh. that's not existing for us right now. We'll look at it later, we promise. Uh, awesome. We are joined by two excellent guests uh, from uh, Paizo and freelancers. And you know what? We're just going to introduce them because I need to stop talking. Uh, up first, we have Jenny Jabarski. Jarzabski. There you Jarzabski. go. Oh, I practiced that like seven <laughs> times. <laughs> All good. Oh, thank you for the little chat. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> We are also joined by freelancer Jessica Redcop. 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 Yeah. Oh, see, I'm bad at names. You, <laughs> we addressed this last time, but when it comes to names, I will drop them on a ball. Uh, we play Fist uh, of the Ruby Phoenix, and it is truly a nightmare when it comes to me GMing. Every you time he tries how- to say a name, he says it in a slightly different way. Yeah. I just started renaming things all over Galoran. I can't. Galarian. See, look at that. I even renamed the world. This is where we're at. <laughs> awesome. So we're just going to jump right off into. So for everyone who didn't watch the last episode or just is in from the future, doesn't know where we're at in the timeline. Uh, yesterday, we got a cool announcement from Paizo saying they accept the workers paizo united work try that again united paizo worker god i can speak well today um they have voluntarily accepted the first unionization of ttrpg history so i just want to know uh we're start with jenny how do you feel about this uh i'm pretty excited and happy that you know that this happened so quickly i think we, we spent a lot of time uh, preparing for this and there was a lot of coordinated effort both from the staff and then uh, and the freelancers as well as they kind of pivoted their message to support us and our unionization. Uh, it's been really exciting and I never expected it to be, I guess I was expecting it to maybe be a little more difficult or just to take a bit longer to hear from uh, the executives or the leadership team. And I'm really glad that that, that happened. But I know at the same time, I'm allowing myself to have kind of this celebration and a brief moment of rest. But I know that the work is really only just beginning because there are we still don't have a contract yet and we'll have to negotiate for that. And so, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good um, and just kind of saving the thoughts of what to do next for Monday at this point (laughs) be my party weekend. (laughs) Awesome. What about you, Jessica? How are you feeling? Oh, well, uh, first of all, I'm ecstatic that the union was voluntarily recognized. It's fantastic. Uh, Not only is this history in the industry, it's the recognition of the first TTRPG union. It's also 
voluntary recognition, which is huge that a company, any company in any industry chose to respond to their workers unionizing with, uh, without trying to do any union busting. They just said, okay, you want a union? You're a union. Yeah. And that's so, so beautiful. Uh, for the for the freelancers, like a lot of us, uh, we have we have kind of a, a weird um, position in the industry, and like we're outside of Paizo, but we work so closely with so many people in Paizo that we have a very different vantage point than just fans do on what's happening inside the company or the way that people are being treated, because a lot of the people who work at Paizo are not just our co-workers or people who we accept contracts from, but in many cases, we go to conventions and meet staff and each other. Uh, we have friends on staff. There are staff who were freelancers before they started working at Paizo. There are a lot of very deep social connections and bonds between staff and freelancers. And so many of us have known for a long time that maybe some things inside the company weren't the best but what do you do with that information you know as a as a freelancer we can't change the way that paizo as a business is run and so when the information started coming out in the week before gen con a lot of us were kind of feeling very lost we didn't know what to do with the situation that was unfolding before us. And a lot of us wondered, is it ethical for us to continue doing business with this company, right? Like there's so many people on staff who we care for deeply and who have shielded us from the way that the company inside is. So anything toxic within Paizo, it doesn't come to us because it stops at the developer that we work with, they filter all of that. So we, the relationship that we have with Paizo doesn't contain any of that. And it was so heartbreaking to learn how much we had been shielded from. And so many of us just came to the conclusion that it wasn't okay. And that we were going to step up. We were going to be the shield. We were going to return the favor. Yeah, it was definitely a uh, great learning about um, how the freelancers all managed to be what I would consider like the foundation of uh, United Paizo workers because you guys are, we actually learned yesterday about how much of every book is freelance based and it's yeah. truly great seeing um, all that come into one. Yeah, during our during our talk with uh, Jason and Katini yesterday, we learned that at least uh, according to them, upwards of around 40 freelancers had started either withholding their work or like refusing to take new work from Paizo mm -hmm. in uh, an effort of solidarity with the union, which was yeah. amazing. Hey, uh, Jenny, how did that feel, you know, seeing that, you know, all people that you work with maybe you know not officially with the company well even officially with the company but not as employees but just like outsiders you know who occasionally you know come in and write for a book or something how does that feel from uh being on official paizo end 
Uh, that was, it was really amazing. So when that first came about was probably with what kind of, it, it didn't spark our unionization efforts, but, but some of the things that kind of acted as a catalyst to get us, you know, kind of give us the opportunity to get this moving and get this going um, quickly at this time were some of the allegations that were made on Twitter. Um, like, I guess it's been about a month now, like a little over a month. And I mm -hmm. remember the first few days were terrible because we all saw this and we're like, there's just like the despair of knowing, you know, it used, you know, there's some folks who had a worse experience and just seeing all the dirty laundry aired and feeling all kinds of mixed feelings about, you know, I agree with some of this stuff, but, but I also work for this company and I value my job. So how do I, how do I act, you know, on the internet? Like, how do I, you know, I, I don't want to support the company, but I also don't want to like outright trash the company because that's not really what should happen either. So we were all kind of very stressed and this was the week of Gen Con. And then when the freelancers announced that they were doing their concerted effort to basically like kind of unofficially strike, uh, almost all of us as devs and designers and definitely myself, we just felt this like surge of community. And I still remember how awesome it was, um, during star or sorry, during all the like seminars and panels at Gen Con, seeing the freelancers just and Jess was one of those, but like filling the chat with like hearts and like, you know, the little rainbow hearts and saying solidarity and, and all these supportive messages and kind of making sure our chats stayed positive, knowing that we can't answer these questions about any of these allegations or any of the, you know, the work conditions. And I remember when uh, Mike Sayre went on and said solidarity with the freelancers, he like yelled it at the end of his interview and he had like the first panel and I was like, heck yeah. And we all like, we stopped wearing our polos. We all wore our just like Kaizo t-shirts and, you know, we, in my interview, we did the same thing for like solidarity. And so that was so cool. And so like buoying in terms of my mental state and my emotional state. And then as it continued on, it's like, okay, technically this makes my job harder because, you know, I can't assign things right now. And I have a, I have a module to assign and whatnot, but I understood it. And I fully support that decision. And it just, to know that they were doing it for us specifically was just like really humbling and just like, I, I love the community that we have. Like it's, yeah, it was, incredible. it was an incredibly hard decision to reach as well because we did all of this privately amongst ourselves. We didn't consult the devs before making this choice and we weren't making this choice publicly either until the union announcement from United Paizo Workers, we didn't say anywhere in the public on social media that we were withholding our labor. That was something that we just uh, we were opening negotiations with Paizo on and we were giving them the opportunity to keep the whole thing behind closed doors so it didn't become more of a scandal because protecting the people who work at Paizo was the entire reason that we were doing this. So, sorry, I'm tearing up. It's no, okay, no, no, I, it's I, cried. Oh. I cried yesterday. I was yeah. like, I'll probably yeah. do it again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, that's got to be like a, a crazy, amazing was, experience to have. It was so difficult for us to reach the decision to withdraw our labor because hmm. we had so much fear that it would roll down on the devs and that it would make their job harder. And 
we were doing it because we wanted to protect them and we wanted to make things better for them. But there was the possibility that they would see it as a betrayal. And before we did it, we didn't know how they would react. And so Gen Con weekend and the panels were powerful for staff to see the support from us because we wanted to make sure that they understood that we were withholding our labor, but we still stood by them. And we wanted to do whatever we had to do to make sure that those panels weren't going to go bad for them, that the chats didn't start asking them for answers. So there were certain, there were certain panels that were particularly important to us that we made sure that we were there for. Uh, most of us were there for all of them. Uh, I attended Gen Con like it was my job, but <laughs> that first panel was incredibly important. And the um, diversity and inclusion panel, we wanted to make sure that we were there in the chat, watching the chat, making sure that no one came at the devs because some of the allegations were about the inclusive content in Pathfinder and going on that panel after those accusations, like I can't even imagine how difficult it was to go on that panel and represent the way that your company is being inclusive when accusations of transphobia have been leveled against yeah. you like this. How, how do you do that? So that one was was a big one that we wanted to make sure we were there for. And then also the um, the freelancing for Paizo panel was also an important one because the devs speaking on that panel at that point knew that we were withholding our labor. The public didn't know, but the devs knew. And they had to go on a panel telling people how they can get into freelancing for Paizo knowing that their freelancers were refusing work. And so that one was another big one that we wanted to make sure that we were there and we were in the chat saying that working with these devs is a joy and that we love working with them. And that if you have the opportunity to work with these developers, you should take it because that's, that's how we feel. And that's the reason that we acted at all out of love and solidarity for these people yeah i think it's really important that people recognize that it's not everybody at paizo it's you know it 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 is sometimes just select individuals and you know but i everyone that we've talked with or i've had the privilege of talking with have been nothing but openly supportive um openly just overall great people to just like talk with i mm -hmm. for a company built on nerds y'all nerdy <laughs> um so it's truly great because i don't see a lot of other like industries being able to have like such a passion behind it with like everyone i've talked to is super enthusiastic about what they do why they love doing it like what it's like on a day-to-day -day basis to be, you know, working on space wizards or, you know, uh, whatever the latest gunslinger, I don't know, techno <laughs> bobble is for <laughs> that week. Yeah. Uh, so it's really great to, you know, uh, I, I remember because I was watching that uh, freelancer live stream because I won't, I won't lie, I, I won't one day want to work on a book for Bizo. I'm, I'm 
I'm a nerd. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> so I think it's truly showing me definitely a different context about what it, that panel specifically, because I remember like mm-hmm. I was taking notes during that panel because <laughs> um, I was just so like in tune with it. So mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about now where do you see this union going now that you guys are accepted because i know uh, earlier you mentioned that the contracts haven't been talked about yet uh what is the next steps that we could we would be potentially seeing i know that's a leave it for monday kind of like action list but (laughs) it's fine (laughs) it's fine i'm more than happy to talk about it so our next step as a union internally is uh upw well we have a couple of next steps uh the main one is we have to negotiate for a contract with the with the executives or the leadership team of of paizo and the way that will work is that we will have a couple of representatives from upw that that we will uh democratically elect that we want to represent us uh, we have not done that yet. So that I guess that's the next step. And then um, those folks will go along with a CWA representative who we are meeting next week to make sure that, you know, we mesh and everything, you know, is good. And we'll go together with whoever Paizo, the company wants to send into that room and we'll sit together. We'll go through the books. Um, we'll see like, you know, things about, you know, increase of salary is one of our major points. And that's kind of our first point because we have a lot of people at our company who are really not making what's a living wage in Seattle area. Um, And that is one of our biggest concerns, but again, we'll see that budget and we'll see if, you know, if Paizo truly can't afford um, more than just, you know, a little bit of a raise to bring those people out of the poverty level, then sure, that's all we're going to push for. But if we, when talking to those executives and looking at the books, see that, hey, there's a lot of money just kind of hanging out here, like we're probably going to push for more. And then you know, we'll make an offer, which has to be voted on by all of our members, um, its majority, uh, then they will make possibly a counter offer or they'll accept our offer, hopefully. So it could last for, I mean, some of these last for like six months to like a year. So we are already formally a union and we are no longer at will employees. We are, we are now like protected from, you know, random firings without reason given, but we, to get those benefits of like trying to negotiate for a raise or better, better medical benefits that will come, you know, later as a result of that work. The other thing we want to do is we're working on uh, registering UPW as a nonprofit organization. Uh, Since we've been taking in money for the merchandise on our website, and on Redbubble, um, we are wanting to use that money towards sort of a, like form a mutual aid fund or something like that for, you know, those lower paid employees and for, you know, say someone is, is terminated, you know, or whatever, like we're, we want to use it. We'll be voting on how to use that, but we're working on that so that we can actually elect like a treasurer and, and people that can be in charge of the money because, you know, money, it makes things more difficult. Um, (laughs) So that's, so those are our immediate next steps and, you know, it's not the most glamorous thing, but that's, that's sort of the work that we'll be engaged in next. And other than that, I honestly would like to see, I know Jess, you tweeted about this, not the other day. So I I hope I can say this, but you know, you had mentioned something about a freelancers guild, which is something 
I remember being talked about way back when I was, uh, was just a freelancer and not also uh, an employee. So I'm kind of hoping that our unionization leads to something like that, like maybe a TTRPG Writers Guild so that our freelancers and contractors, uh, our contract editors and such can be protected. Uh, because unfortunately the UPW won't protect them because they're not, um, they're not like normal employees, they're contract workers, but they could definitely form some sort of a guild, uh, something like that. And we would support them in that. And I'm hoping that other companies, other more game companies will start to really see what we did and how successful it was and start to have those conversations and, you know, start to organize if that's what their workers want. And I mean, I'm sure it is like, we've all heard, uh, we've all heard some bad stories about game. You know, like if you think about any game company, there's probably been some sort of allegations, right? Like, especially Namely the, the, the recent blizzard stuff. Oh yeah. yeah all the stuff yes. that happened recently with blizzard EA Activision. Absolutely. So I'm hoping that, you know, they're video games, but that they're still game workers and code CWA is, is all about trying to organize game workers and tech workers together and we are we are part of that so i'm hoping we're just gonna see like a landslide happening in the coming years so so yeah that sounds amazing especially the idea of like a free uh, freelancers guild that sounds like a great idea i actually hadn't really considered the protections of uh, freelancers as you know they're not really unionized workers but they still deserve protection heck yeah Jessica yeah, probably talk uh, more about that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Go well, for it. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's not a lot to say about it yet. Uh, mm. It's a great idea. It's an idea I want to see happen. That's why I tweeted about it. But still very in the planning it's a, phase. <laughs> it's a big industry. And I sent out an open invite to anybody who wanted to be present for the conversation. And that's uh, resulted in a lot of people so it's a little <laughs> overwhelming right now especially coming off of like five weeks six weeks of organizing around the paizo situation so uh no news yet but we'll see where it all goes and from what jason told us yesterday he told us that like a majority of the books were written by freelancers so i mean i think that's freelance it could be something like immense it could be a massive yeah there's thing. there's a lot of yeah. leverage there that you could you yeah. could use yeah if you look at paizo's um like organizational structure like the titles of, pe of people at paizo nobody has the title of writer that doesn't exist on paizo that's not done on staff yeah game design is done on staff so like creating a whole new class is done by staff but the writing in the books, even when it's done by staff, is done as freelance. Mm -hmm. Nobody does that on the clock. Anytime you see a Paizo employee, uh, their name on like an adventure path, they took that as freelance on top of their existing job. They didn't write that at Paizo. They wrote that at home. Yeah. Um, the only exception would be if we say there was a, a freelancer that, you know, had extenuating circumstances mm -hmm. and, and couldn't fully turn in their, their yes. contracted work. Sometimes we will step in and, but that's part of dev, like that's part of the mm -hmm. development or design process of knowing mm -hmm. that if you didn't get everything needed, that you will have to fill in mm -hmm. the blanks or work with the mm -hmm. author. So, but yeah, that's all stuff that we do, um, as mm -hmm. freelancers. So I mean, I'm still also a freelancer as well mm -hmm. as a Paizo developer because 
I, I take a significant amount of freelance. Um, I've told myself I'm going to take a break just because I love it, but I need a break. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts. But yeah, I mean, if that happened, that would be something I would be interested in joining too, because I freelance mm-hmm. for Paizo and sometimes other companies. So yeah, it would be yeah. really awesome. I think especially after writing a whole AP, uh, it's, I believe when I was talking with James Case, uh, when I was doing a little bit of a personal interview with him, uh, he was just like, all right, I wrote the last Ruby Phoenix. I've done, well, he couldn't say Ruby Phoenix at the time because the third book wasn't announced yet. But uh, as someone who's currently playing through all of it, I definitely know he wrote the last one. Um, he was just like, I'm done. I can't, I can't do it. I was like, I'm breaking. I was like, it was like, I'm taking a break. I love my job. But there's, I'm not writing one of those for a while. I was just like, I can't, can't blame you on that one. Uh, yeah, there so are a lot of work. Of, yeah, yeah. Speaking of writing APs, uh, I was told about the uh, drift crash, uh, yeah. crashers AP going along with the drift crisis, <laughs> which I am super looking for. I want to play the drift crisis personally. Uh, <laughs> if I can ever organize a game, that'd be great. Um. So can you tell us a little bit about, uh, Jessica, you could probably kick this one off. Uh, where What is the Drift Crashers? Let's just talk Starfinder for a little bit. Okay. Well, Drift Crisis is uh, an event. It's like the way that comic books would have like uh, an event that happens across multiple lines and they have all the crossovers and everything, right? And it's like, this thing takes years and everybody is involved in the event, right? So Drift mm-hmm. drift Crisis is like that. And so there is a Drift Crisis book that is going to introduce like what is the Drift Crisis, what is going on, what are the ramifications across the galaxy, and then some like adventure seeds for how can the Drift Crisis affect your game? Here are a bunch of things that are going on in the universe, right? And then Drift Crashers is one of the like Drift Crisis crossover elements where it's bringing the AP line in on the Drift Crisis. And so Drift Crashers is an adventure path that follows uh, a Starship crew who is impacted by the Drift Crisis. Awesome. Hmm. Uh, Jenny, anything you want to contribute to that or... Um, I honestly, I think that Jess got, got it pretty well, um, with the, with the drift, uh, drift crisis. And yeah, I mean, that's leading right into the drift crash. So that's kind of like Mm going to be most people, unless they homebrew it, that's going to be most people's Mm -hmm. first experience with that event. So uh, I'm super excited. I know there will be, um, one other AP and some modules or one or two modules and probably a few Starfinder society scenarios that will deal with the with the drift crisis so you can kind of play through it or cherry pick and build a campaign but mm-hmm. i'm so excited about drift crashers because it's it's just like nope this is it like you just got thrown into this <laughs> it's bonkers this. it's so bonkers like i saw that i saw that outline and i was like are you serious like because this was tondra i was like are you really we're gonna do this and he's like yeah we are <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty cool. yeah so the uh the drift uh, crisis and the drift crash. What happens is the drift stops working, right? And so the oh galaxy relies on the drift for yeah, travel, big deal. for communication. The entire way the Starfinder universe is constructed is like near space. It's not that they're actually near each other. It's just that they're all near a drift beacon. And then the drift goes out 
and none of these places are connected to each other anymore. They were near space once, but now they're who knows where. And so when you do drift travel normally in Starfinder, you go into the drift and the drift pulls various parts of the multiverse into itself when you do drift travel. Mm -hmm. So there's like pockets of various elemental planes and all sorts of stuff in the drift. And the way the Drift Crashers Adventure Path starts off, and I know I'm allowed to say this because uh, Jake tweeted it, so <laughs> I, know, I know I'm allowed to say this. Uh, the way the Adventure Path begins is you try to go to the Drift, and instead you go to hell. <laughs> yes. What a jump. You're, All right, guys, so we're going to go to one. Best 3 and then hell. <laughs> Yeah, so you're you're level one. You're in hell. That uh, hell of that, a start. That was <laughs> <laughs> intended. Yeah. So that uh, that would be why I was asked to write this adventure. <laughs> planar bullshit. Yeah, I don't know if y'all curse on your. Oh, you yeah. could feel free. Yeah, yeah. You, I, yeah planar bullshit is widely known to be like one of her expertises yeah. um, in yeah. terms of subject matter because <laughs> mm. of all your planescape work and everything. Mm. So yeah. Um, so yeah, that's going to be, I, I can't wait. I saw it. Well, I saw it because I'm writing or I wrote the second volume. So I saw a lot of what she did and it's going to be really, really wild. <laughs> oh, yeah. Guys, boy. part two, yeah. not to spoil anything, is going right it's up to heaven. More wild it's, than it's... going to hell. I don't, I don't know about that. Just... <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I can tell you uh, part two. Don't want to give too many spoilers uh, that aren't approved. But in part two, you literally meet the goddess Desna and have brunch with her. So... <laughs> That's so it. Yeah. We're dropping all the other campaigns. That's amazing, James. Desna's in my top five gods. Mm-hmm. We gotta mm-hmm. get. We gotta get this. We gotta get this campaign up and running ASAP, man. Oh my god. <laughs> yes, it's, it's gonna be. It's gonna be a good yeah. AP. <laughs> it is, and then the third volume is gonna get even weirder, if that's possible. I, I don't know how much I can spoil. That one's written by Ron Lundy, yeah. but yeah. it it goes back into some things that they discovered in the prior uh, prior volumes, and it's it's just gonna be really weird. So go go from hell to meeting a goddess, and then it somehow gets weirder after that. Cannot yes. wait to see. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it sounds like a Deadpool storyline. I don't I don't know how like. <laughs> Sounds like a Deadpool storyline. I don't know how else to phrase it. <laughs> you know, Tondro comes up with some really good ideas. Uh, some, mm-hmm. of, some of the best, like, honestly, lately, some of our really coolest AP and module ideas uh, or like the starting point for them have been like something he just randomly said and you know in a creative meeting and it's like he just says some random thing and we're like that's really weird Jake but then you start thinking about it, you're like wait but what if it was like this and what if we did <laughs> this and it's like yeah so no and he's he's got a background and he loves comics so like if it sounds like a comic book storyline in terms of how wacky and over the top it is and there's probably a reason for that <laughs> so Oh, definitely. I mean, just some of the crazy shit that's happened, like officially in canon for Paizo, like APs alone. Like, I played Rain of Winter as my first uh, ever oh. Pathfinder one. Like, ever, like jumping yeah. into Pathfinder one with Rain of Winter, my dad was like, "All right, look, you guys get Iron Gods or you guys get Rain of Winter." And my dad was like, "But at one point, you end up in Russia." I was just, I was like, <laughs> "Yes, that yeah. one." I remember when I was first getting into into Pathfinder, um, 
James described to me what was it, Sorcerer Rasputin? Oh yeah, it was, and it was Sorcerer Rasputin. Was very, very confused by that. I, I mean, I, I love the lore in general, and I've never played Starfinder, but if you guys, with the descriptions that you guys keep giving, I mean, it, it sounds like something I will definitely have to give a try. Starfinder Society is the home of some of Paizo's wackiest bullshit. It's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. Oh, there's um, there's a scenario where you're like <sighs> contestants on a reality TV show. Yes. Oh my god, I remember. Oh, was yes. it uh, that a there's one a... shot with uh, Luis Loza wrote a one shot that was very similar to that? I believe. My brain is working right. It I'm... wasn't. It wasn't that one. There may be something oh, okay, else. Sorry. Uh, no, that's fine. This one. I remember was reading written... it. My bad. Yeah, this one was written by John Compton, and it was yeah. basically you, like the society, uh, are, is asked to send a team of Starfinders to be on this reality show with Zoe, um, the the undead media oh mogul. God. Yes, and basically the whole time you're you're trying to like delve into this like moon or or like this false moon called Salvation's End. And the whole time you have this undead camera crew following your party around and they interact with the party. And there's also the best part is the booth because when your adventuring partners piss you off or do something really stupid, you can go sit in the booth and you can trash talk them like any good. Yeah, you can do, you can do the reality TV show confessional. It's iconic. It's so good. It's so fun. Um, That is amazing. So, yeah, so there's that one. It's pretty. And then yeah. there's also there's also a uh, strawberry machine cake. Yes, yes. What is yes. strawberry machine cake? Jenny can talk cake. more about this. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna have to clarify more on what <laughs> strawberry machine cake is. So strawberry machine cake is a it's they're a band that I think may have as much of a following as like some real bands now, um, because of <laughs> how much people love them. Uh, but basically, they are they're kind of like a they're they're very they're inspired by like j-rock um and j-pop but obviously that you know japan does not exist in the packed worlds so you know there's other there's like actual like cultures in starfinder setting that are kind of drawn into this but they're this like super super popular loud band uh all wear like these awesome costumes on stage and have like hollow you know like holographic shows and yeah there's a scenario where you go to their concert um on songbird station and some mysterious stuff happens. So you have to try to save the concert and uh, spoilers don't listen for the next 30 seconds or so. If you don't, if you haven't played it and want to um, at a certain point, you may or may not fight a giant mech on a stage. So yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. Um, and they've come back. They've, they've appeared uh, in a couple other scenarios. I'm sure they will. Again, people ask all the time for them. And uh, those were created by, they were created by Eleanor Farron and absolute work of genius in my opinion. <laughs> That's amazing. Yep. I'm introducing yeah. that booth mechanic now, even across yeah. like all games. <laughs> I just so want good. even in campaigns where it wouldn't make any sense. I just a, a platform for characters to shit talk other characters. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's what's needed, you know, to just vet out frustrate. I I have a I'm playing a dwarf wizard. I feel like he would abuse the hell out of that. Oh, he's a by the way, just so... for context, a rich entitled uh, wizard who's extremely broke, but will never admit it. He's um, broker than the the rogue slash swashbuckler that started the campaign is homeless. 
Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Arcane scrolls cost a lot of money, guys. Uh, so plan out your spells very carefully. So does a staff of wealth, which he actually made a custom I... staff called the staff of wealth. It, 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 it's a made of potato, you know. It's... No, no. Our next, our next campaign, we can have the booth. We're just gonna call it "Keeping Up with the Kobolds." <laughs> that's it. That's what we're doing. That's the next campaign. Everybody has the uh, celebrity archetype. Uh, is their free archetype, and uh, everybody's a cobalt. You must... I don't know what it's doing. Cobalt reality shows. Cobalt reality shows. <laughs> I feel like it's needed. But then there's yeah. the one, you know, the one unique person. They don't have to play cobalt. It's just the one person. <laughs> oh, he's a goblin who thinks he's a cobalt. We yep, can just bring yep. in that little bit of artwork from... Uh, oh, what was that from? The goblin wearing the Oh, it's like costume. APG. Alright, uh yeah. just put image right here. Uh deadly, I'll send you the photo. Yeah, let's let's hope you can find it. <laughs> it's like two seconds on Google. Awesome. So one thing I want to talk about is would we eventually get to see a Starfighter second edition, but with three action economy? Like I'm sure we do you with get this. I'm sure you get this question all, <laughs> all the, the time. time. <laughs> I mean, I think that would be super cool. Um it's some you know, right now there's no immediate plans to do it, but Maybe that's <laughs> Maybe what they the once future? said about Pathfinder, and then uh, we got yeah, a second yeah. edition of that. So yeah. that means that means there's Starfinder second edition somewhere <laughs> deep in those dead vaults that we are just not allowed to know about. <laughs> Maybe one day. Can neither confirm nor deny. Pathfinder third edition. I think you'll have to wait a little bit on that one <laughs> if that ever happens. <laughs> Pathfinder third edition, by the way, is a six action economy. You just break all your three actions into two. Oh no. <laughs> that sounds complicated, but no. The reaction economy is really great. And I'm surprised more people, well, I guess they may have in in home games, but I feel like con if people were so inclined converting Starfinder adventures and converting, you'd have to do a lot of conversion. But if you could convert that to like the three action economy, that would be is... super, super slick. So yeah, I believe it's seen for exactly that that I'm a part of that uh, I don't really communicate on there but they do a lot of great work for converting actually Starfinder into the three action economy which is bonkers they have the time to do that that is yeah. a whole system rewrite <laughs> oh yes absolutely and all, all that um, all the content like all the classes and everything would probably there probably be some things that had to change um, if, especially if a class ability or a spell gave you you know if it, it cost a certain type of action um, it would have to be like, oh, no, this is now one action or two actions rather than, you know, this is a swift action or a standard action. So, but no, I really, I like PF2 a lot. I, I spend more time on Starfinder mostly because, I mean, that's what I work on and I love mm. the science fantasy aspect of it. There's only so much my brain can, can hold within it <laughs> at a certain time, but the Pathfinder stuff, especially lately is just so cool. And I love that system. It's very easy to learn as a player, I think. So a recent actually, um, oh, sorry, was somebody else about to talk? I, I don't want to cut anyone off. Okay, cool. So the biggest Starfinder release that just came out is actually the Galaxy Exploration Manual. Uh, can we talk about some of the cool things that we found in there? Mainly, the main thing I want to talk about is mechs. So I'm a sucker for mechs. Mechs uh, are just cool. And James has many of them in his basement. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not allowed to have my basement 
behind me right now. But if you did, you'd see a whole wall of like Godzilla merch. Just nice. With decked out with Pacific Rim. You know, you name it. It's probably up there somewhere. Um, so yeah, can we talk about just how crazy this book is? Yeah, I mean, this tech revolution with mechs. Oh yeah, sorry, my bad. No, you're oh, good. I brain. was like, I'm so tired. Look, it's been a long day. I, I am just... too. I am too. You're. It's all good. And I was like, oh no, because like Galaxy Exploration Manual is super cool, but I wasn't involved it is. My with brain that is so... at all. So I was like, oh no, I don't want to talk about this. But no, I can talk about Tech Revolution. Um, Please do. I, I'm going to shut up. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I love. So yeah, I am a big Mech fan as well, and. I, there's a lot of cool stuff in that book, but I will say mechs are, I mean, they're my favorite thing that's in there. Um, having played some of the, like, cause we, uh, my home game, uh, Thirsty, who's one of my coworkers, GMs for us and uh, Thurston Hillman anyway. And he has kind of used us as guinea pigs in the past for things. And I remember he's like, we're going to do kind of an early play test of the mechs before the, because we had access to like the files, but before it was out in the world. So we did that and it was just so fun. Um, building a mech, there's a lot under the hood. There's a lot of customization. It's super cool. But much like the starship system to build a starship, it can be a little bit complicated. Like it's it's more complex than just building a character. There is math and there's like points you have to assign and whatnot. But once that's happened, mech combat is just regular combat. Um, you just have a big, big ass robot that you can stomp around in. And you might have like a, a plasma line weapon that just, you know, pew pews, like a whole line of enemies down. Or you might have some super cool, like sword and shield combo that you can smash, smash people with. So um, I would say if you're thinking about playing mechs and getting tech revolution, do it. You will, you will not be disappointed. Uh, one of my dear friends who's like a super battle tech and like mech warrior person has actually come out and said, no, this is just as good. It's just different. Like he, he was worried and he played it and he liked it. So that, so, Hey, that's, that's a good recommendation, um, from a person who's not as biased as I am, <laughs> but it, it's super fun. Uh, Thirsty started out by giving us mechs that, that we didn't build and we just played with them. And I'd say if you're a GM and you want to introduce that, that's probably the best. Like you build one or two models and let them have it and play with it. And then once they understand, I mean, and it won't take long because it's just normal initiative combat. But once they know what their mech can do, you could maybe let them switch some things out, customize some of the weapons or the shields or whatever. And then you can start letting them, you know, if they want to get in, get under the hood and start building custom mechs. But gosh, it's, it's really fun. I'm a fan. <laughs> awesome. Definitely sounds, definitely sounds very fun. Like, um, I know before we recorded, we talked about James and his Power Rangers. And yeah. You've I've been a nerd since I've been a kid. Yeah. It's true. I, mean... <laughs> I, I will run a Power Rangers game one day with uh, those mech rules. You guys will be fighting a giant <laughs> uh, Zord. 
Yeah. So it's like, if you want to do the, the like super Sentai, like uh, Power Rangers or Voltron, like all these mechs that come, you know, like come together into one, you can do that. Um, there are multiple operator mechs. If, if you're more into like the, the whole battle tech thing or like, you know, Macross mechs, like you can do that. Like, I mean, really there's a little something for everyone. And since it is science fantasy, there's some weird stuff like, there's there's like spell um there's like aeon stone uh like circuitry in the mechs like there's certain things you can do with spells so it's there's there's a lot there um you could definitely make that campaign reality with those rules sounds awesome (laughs) so yeah so uh one thing i wanted to also talk about was what it's like to work on Starfinder, but then in context of designing challenges for your players via the alien archive system, which is uh, for people who don't play Starfinder is essentially bestiaries for Pathfinder, but in space. Um, so can we talk a little bit about maybe some contributes? Uh, Jessica, starting off with you, uh, I noticed that you have alien archives three and four listed. Um, both great ones. Uh, my favorite addition to them being the otter people um but that's only because we have a friend who's super obsessed with otters so the what oh you didn't know about that i said this to i said this to a friend of ours who's super yeah there's otter people now they are absolutely adorable um in starfinder and uh like the skittermander uh i want to play with them a lot i'm looking this up now oh that's amazing the otter people are incredible. Like, yes. truly incredible. <laughs> They're so cute. <laughs> um, my contributions to the Alien Archives primarily are uh, the Spectra, the outsiders that are native to the Drift. When Alien Archive 3 was being assigned, I got on the book because one of the creatures in there, the Cephalum, had been created at PaizoCon that year during a panel. And I attended that panel and I contributed to creating the creature collaboratively with everybody else in attendance. And when it came time to uh, name the creature, I proposed the name that ended up getting used, Cephalum. And then because I had named it and because I was getting into starting to freelance for Paizo, I was given the opportunity to write that creature for actually appearing in the book. But once I got on that book and once I saw the outline and I saw that there was a new outsider race native to the drift being assigned, I shot my shot and I pled to be assigned that creature and to be trusted with the task of creating an entirely new outsider race. What I tell you about planar bullshit, like this is her thing. <laughs> oh. She's very thing. This is what I love. Yeah. And so I was given that assignment and I was uh, basically able to uh, create whatever I thought was the best representation of an outsider native to the drift, given that prompt, outsider native to the drift. Oh my God. Well, just, we love planar bullshit. I think everybody should be more involved with planar bullshit. I mean... I don't want to give any uh, like spoilers or away for our podcast that we do, uh, Roll for Idiocy, but uh, 
some plainer bullshit is my favorite go-to when it comes to storytelling because uh we play so i converted uh the precog class from starfinder to second edition because one of our players magnus when that class was announced for starfinder he was like i want this give me and i was me being ambitious said yes without knowing what i was getting into um we ended up long story short we ended up having to fight the evil version of his character and we start pulling from the multiverse of potentially more uh people uh that can be replicated and so i one day during my class that there was a sub for i decided to write out the multiverse for roll for idiocy and it is truly a nightmare especially <laughs> just... for us players oh. who have to deal oh. with fighting the evil version of one of our players that if you hurt him the player character gets hurt oh wow it's it's literally pulled from the past into the present which is my favorite because like if we I, kill him the universe ends yeah uh so uh there's a doctor who special called the five doctors so basically all the doctors are together and they're like okay if any of us die we're in trouble and i was just like this is the perfect trope because i love sci-fi and fantasy and well, I think everyone can judge around where what's around me right now. Pretty big of a nerd. So uh, messing up with some planar bullshit is my forte of just love and devotion. And honestly, if you guys can have it as an audience, please send evil versions of all your players to them. That is a gift from me to you. He loves it, but trust me, the rest of us hate it. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> do it do it look it's good storytelling all right i multiverses are everywhere i'm super into comic books i think it's just what it shows yeah. um yeah because <laughs> this, this precog the character from the past he's connected to so many backstories oh so i made that many. intentional oh yeah that was the best part was that i made sure that all the players hated the evil version of this character <laughs> so much that at the beginning of the campaign when we were planning it out I had specifically made sure that each of them had a reason to kill this, the evil version of this player. And now I just get to loom over their heads that they now have the opportunity and cannot do it. It is oh. so much fun. James, this is, you... That's why you guys should do more timeline bullshit. <laughs> you mentioned earlier the uh, the Five Doctors episode of uh, Doctor Who, and I think that transitions well into this question. Um, I think, Jessica, I'll let you start out with this. Uh, what media or like popular media, books, comics, movies, what do you think influences your writings the most? Ooh. Hmm. I can say that when I was uh, writing the dandy for APG, I was very influenced uh, because um, at that time I just by matter of coincidence, happened to be rereading uh, Jonathan Strange or Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. Mm -hmm. And so that was a tremendous influence on writing the dandy and making sure that with this class, you would be able to play Lascelles or Draw Light. That's but right. uh, other, other stuff, um, I, 
it's difficult because like I'm so into tabletop RPGs that like at a certain point your tabletop RPG design starts being influenced by other tabletop RPGs, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's, an Ouroboros. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, a lot of the stuff that like the my love for planar bullshit is very influenced by the um the Planescape setting for second edition Dungeons and Dragons. I love that setting. I love it so much. And so a lot of my love for doing anything planar comes back to that setting and the fan community that that setting had, because it's, um, it's much more than just the material that was published for the setting. There was a lot of fan created content the the same way that we kind of have like wayfinder now right and the the way that we have like the three third party content put out for pathfinder now it's a, a little bit similar to that but not completely uh because there used to be there's not so much anymore but there used to be um that if you were really into like a particular setting there would be a message board online that was like dedicated to that setting and so there would be a message board that was like where all of the ravenloft people would do all of their like ravenloft homebrew and post about like this is what i did in my campaign and everybody's campaigns would influence each other and everybody would uh, share all of like the npcs they created and their plot threads and everything would get kind of interwoven together and planescape had one of those as well and there is a lot of stuff that has influenced me from Planescape that is actually just fan works and uh, the, the work of other non-professionals or people who are now freelancers or who now work in the industry. But at the time they were just posting like, this is what I did in my campaign. And the thing that I love so much about Planescape is that it takes the like the cosmology and the multiverse and it kind of extrapolates from alignment so like you have alignment and then you have the planes and each plane is aligned with an alignment and it kind of extrapolates like this plane isn't even an actual physical place like you have the inner planes where you have like your earth air fire water and then you have your outer planes where you have um spiritual concepts, ideas, morality, uh, a plane of good, a plane of evil. And these two things merge together to create the prime material plane, which is a place of infinite possibilities. You can have things that are created out of everything, the synthesis, uh, like the, the physical and the metaphysical together. But as soon as you start separating those things back out and you're looking at the planes themselves, you have like the plane of fire. And that's just fire and what is fire and what is a plane of fire and like on a conceptual level uh knowing that you have separated the physical from the metaphysical like fire as like a a base building block as an element as an atom what is this thing right and then you look at the outer planes and it's the same way like what is a plane that is just like the concept of evil what does that look like what is a place that is a concept and how like what happens to this plane if something that is counter to that concept starts growing there if goodness starts growing in a plane that metaphysically is just evil what, what does that look like what kind of story is that so um 
that is that's that's the stuff that i like yeah so that's, that's 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 <laughs> yeah. some mind-boggling stuff i mean i think it's pretty fair to say though the plane of fire is just hot i think that's the only real attribute <laughs> you could give it to it <laughs> that's true but then Good you have to think about what is the ground made of right fire go... hot Hot. hot yeah yeah it's, it's just a good it's just hot it's a good vacation spot it's nice and hot all year round you know how, like hot air rises it's just a layer of hot air there's enough that you can just walk on it of course uh jenny how about you yeah so um you know there's i i definitely second what what jess was saying about there comes a certain time where, you know, your writing is, is influenced by other tabletops and like games you've played and games your friends have played and told you about. So that's, that's definitely a thing. But for me, my big influences are, uh, I, I enjoy, um, I mean, there's, if anyone's listening to this and they've heard me do an interview before, you know what I'm going to say. Um, my, my, my favorite games of all time are the, are the Dragon Guard Mirror series uh, by Yoko Taro. And so those are a huge influence on my work and the way I want to approach uh, game writing. Because one thing that Yoko Taro's studio does is they truly tell a story that matches its medium. Like they make the medium work towards telling the story um they'll they'll integrate things like saves and you know replays and playing different you know branches of the game into the actual story which i think is brilliant and i think that those games have shown some of the best uh uses of the video game media and i hope to do stuff like that for you know for my medium which is t- uh, tabletops so it, it kind of inspired me to think about as much as i like the themes of it which are very like existential type of themes and thinking about AIs and what is the nature of humanity and you know that sort of thing uh, that stuff oh god yes uh, that's that's my shit um so that in addition to that I just it really has made me think about how I create games and what is possible and I'm not quite sure what oh uh, oh <laughs> be like that but there's there's got to be something so it's like it just kind of makes my brain work in a different way too mm-hmm. um uh, thinking about those games and you know i'm also uh, i i like mechs a lot uh, another thing i'm really into i watch a lot of anime and the macross series is something that i absolutely adore uh because it's basically inter intergalactic like mech fights but also with pop idols singing and helping everyone fight better and that kind of thing just encapsulates what I like about science fantasy. Cause it's just like, you can have this big military serious battle. And then there's this like, you know, pop idol who walks out onto the whole of a spaceship and starts singing. And she has like holographic clothes that change. And it's like oh. this concert it's like, and it becomes a music video, but it's also like the battle for uh, like a world. And so that kind of thing also inspires me quite a lot. That is... Yeah, screw the space marines. I need <laughs> cat girl holograms yes, to walk on exactly. <laughs> Something you will almost only ever see in anime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, but stuff like that is just, I find it inspiring because there are elements that I can use to influence what I do for Starfinder. Obviously, some things don't fit right in exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. They shouldn't. I don't want to copy anything, but I, I do draw a lot of inspiration from that and just just the feel of it like I like the I like the juxtaposition of silly 
wacky stuff with things that are very serious and examine, you know, these, these very real themes that make you as a player actually sit and think about them. So uh, both of those uh, that I just named are probably pretty, pretty big on that, um, that contrast. Uh, well, hey, now from this conversation, I have learned that both mechs and space pop stars are indeed possible in Star and Starfinder. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, there is a there is an idol um, or icon. Sorry, there is yep. an icon theme, so can. <laughs> I just I I need to play this game where there's mechs and you know pop stars, pop stars. and. I, I, I want midway through the like undead game show battles. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just want the like Good. the giant like climax of the battle, and then the cat girl goes into the booth, and then just you know, it's like <laughs> oh my God, I can't even stand what this is. Uh, the Megatrons are being like so annoying right now. <laughs> I totally great. put that character. That'd be so much fun. <laughs> also, well, you so can make a uh, a pop idol group when you play Crashers. Yeah. You yeah, could. That's what we're doing. That's you what we're doing. Yeah, could That's have been it. on the way to a concert and then you got drawn into this and it's like, oh God, what do we do? That would be would funny. Turn fighters? I like, I like this framing. I like that. We're all envoys. No no other class needed. I'm just imagining the, the hex girls from Scooby-Doo just beating the shit out of people in space. <laughs> so good. I would watch that. You could that, truly that make stream. Gem in the holograms and, you know, like you could, your rivals could be the, you know, misfits and just have the most insane adventure <laughs> oh yeah definitely so um as we're starting to get wrapped up here is there anything you want to the audience should have a big takeaway uh just like a where to find you or um something that you know just anything else you guys want to touch on before we start fully wrapping up uh jenny solidarity Yep. Oh, solidarity. Yeah, solidarity. Absolutely. Solidarity. Um, I would just tell everyone uh, unitedpaisaworkers.org uh, is where you can read our blogs and see announcements and get linked to our cool merchandise, which we, we have a red bubble right now where you can get stickers and, and with this super cool logo that you can kind of see um, and behind me there at t-shirts and things like that. But we are talking about expanding to other, other like sites um, you know, cause, cause Redbubble does take a pretty decent percentage and we were just trying to set things up quickly, but we're, we're thinking about other things, um, that, that all goes toward the union. That will be money that goes into our nonprofit and we will use for, uh, we'll be transparent with it, but we will use it for like mutual aid or expenses for us having meetings and things like that. Um, and then for me personally, uh, I am on Twitter at Jen Jaski, so just J-E-N-J-S-K-I, shortened version of my name. And I do stream on Twitch, although I'm on hiatus currently. Uh, I am hoping to possibly start a Starfinder game Ooh. streamed in, in next year sometime. Uh, and that is Jezebel77, where you can find that. I also play random video games and chat. Hopefully we can try and get that in the, uh, the YouTube description on the Deadly D8 yeah, video. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jessica, how about you? I uh, I'm I'm a little bit annoying to find on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Tectonomancer, uh, T E C T O N O M A N C E R. Yeah, it took me a, a little. little... It took me a little <laughs> bit of searching when I found out that we were doing mm -hmm. an interview with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a little bit of a hard one. 
Uh, but I also uh, am part of the No Direction podcast network, and I play on the Valiant uh, actual play podcast. With uh, uh, it's GM'd by Luis Loza, and I play that with uh, Avi, Owen, and Rob. And I play uh, Ziodani, who is a uh, Azimar druid. And the game takes place on the continent of Arcadia. Ooh, it's pretty cool. We do yeah. like Arcadia, the frontier. Mm-hmm. I mainly like the firearms. That's just no, I like the yeah, I like the beast guns. <laughs> oh yeah, we uh. On on Valiant, we all have a uh, gunslinger um, free archetype. Nice, as every so, um, campaign should. We have we have uh, a homebrewed one that Luis wrote like last year or something right now. Mm. Um, so it works a little bit different than the one that just released, just because we didn't have it yet. Um, but some of us shoot our guns more than others. Uh, for example, Owen Casey Stevens' uh, bard character prefers to, instead of firing his gun, he uses them to hit people when he casts telekinetic projectile. He <laughs> chucks the gun using telekinetic projectile. That's one way to That's use it. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good time, Valiant. It's a good podcast. <laughs> we have fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the most important thing. So we're here for is to have fun. So, so we started this podcast. <laughs> All right, Brat. Let's hear what the fact of the day is. All right. Did you know that M&M's is actually an abbreviation? Stands hmm. for Mars and Murray's. Ah, what? I didn't know that. It's I thought it was named off the two guys who invented the M&Ms. Forrest you... Mars and Bruce Murray. See, I'm going to be real. I'm not sure that's true. that really counts as an invention. Okay. Hey, well, they... it, it, you know how much Discovered money M&Ms channel. make in a year? Yeah, 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 let's, yeah. The M&Ms is huge. So, I mean, they, they made it's it big. It's all about branding, all right? That's what it comes down to is it doesn't. Hey, Thomas Edison didn't technically invent the light bulb, but, you know, everybody thinks he did, and that's all that matters. Stole it from Nikola Tesla. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Fuck Edison. Fuck Edison. Hell yeah. We are pro-Fuck Edison. Pro-Tesla. Yeah, pro-Tesla. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that guy probably was not the... I don't know. He probably wasn't the best person either. I mean, no. you can, Tesla you can live cool. out your Tesla fantasies even now, playing Huddleful Boyfriend. Oh. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> oh. Sometimes I forget that that game exists, and then it comes back into and my mind. And then you mind. remember. <laughs> never willingly. I never willingly remember. We're going to get a live stream of that coming soon. We don't yeah, know when. No. It'll be. No. <laughs> You guys thought my KFC dating simulator joke was bad. It's (laughs) It's about to get worse. Smart people are always lonely. They're just just always lonely. What? And that's why we have TTRPGs, because then all of us get together. It's social interaction for nerds. Uh, All right, and brought the second, uh, the surprise question we have for every guest when we come over, when they come over here. If you could rename any element on the periodic table, 
which one would you rename and what would you rename it to? Snap. I want to get a P table for this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, if you guys would like some examples, we have a few. Uh, Mark Seifter renamed uh, Oxygen to Bob. Bob. Uh, After Oxygen okay. was already renamed. <laughs> uh, we have Carbon is that I actually named uh, The Shit You Breathe Out. <laughs> uh, we, uh, Nonat Ones has renamed an element to Nonatanium. So we've definitely seen some interesting uh, renaming of some very common elements. Uh, actually, yesterday we had some pretty cool ones as well. Honestly, is- uh, I would, if I, if I can jump in, I mean, yeah, this go is- ahead pretty boring but i think what i would do is i would have uh i'd probably change mercury back to just officially being quicksilver because it sounds so cool so um, much cooler and it yeah and it is actually like it describes what it does instead of being the name of a planet because it's like you know it's silver and you can use it in thermometers and whatnot so it's like i don't know to me that is that does what it says on the tin more so than its current name <laughs> so i guess that's what i would do <laughs> Marvel would have the greatest marketing uh, PR with that. That's true. You could buy like your Quicksilver uh, branded, like old school glass thermometers and all that good stuff. Get poisoned by it. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, that and lead need to be a no nom noms because, you know, you don't don't want to do that. No, 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 you don't want to do that. No, (laughs) I don't know what I want to rename it to. But I think uranium needs a rebranding. Yeah. Like, you know, when companies like <laughs> just dissolve, they declare bankruptcy and then they start up again under just a new name. I, th- I think uranium needs that. We need a we need a PR miracle for uranium. They get a bad <laughs> it gets uranium a bad rep. A PR rescue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Any ideas for a new name? We created Godzilla. Um, you know, the mother of all elements. That's a good one. Uh, Uranus? No, that's a planet. No, I'm out. Maybe, maybe just like uh, use me good energy fuel. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Uranium scientist to knows me. use to use me good energy source or energy fuel. Mm. That's it. That's. I don't that's know. Exactly the the, the uranium. The uranium uh, PR team can figure out what the uh, catchiest yeah, yeah. name is. Yeah, yeah. The, the uranium media marketing team. Mm-hmm. We can of course call them up and you know give them our ideas. Of course, because that's what they need. <laughs> Us just bursting into wherever they make the site stuff, demanding they rename all the elements. And we will let Uranium deal with itself. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank our guests for coming on today and for you guys for making it this far and listening to whatever insane shit we had to say. Uh, please check out our two amazing guests. Uh, they are generally fun people to interact with. Um, <laughs> you can check us out on the Deadly D8 uh, YouTube channel, or you can get the full interview on our uh, podcast on Spotify An- or Anchor, wherever we publish to. It's kind of where you can find us. Or you can follow us on Twitter, prof underscore idiocy. Uh, we do some pretty insane shit all the time. Or, uh, yeah, we're just weird. 
this is what we kind of branded ourselves as so might as well jump we into got it. our we got our first year anniversary coming up so oh yeah anniversary episode that. coming up soon so uh thank you for listening and uh we hope to see you in the next video bye 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 Thank you.